number 10-0-23, a reading of each of seven episodes. Episode 1, A Year with the Church Fathers. Live a Life Worthy of the Resurrection. St. Gregory the Great, Sermon 59, 8. Episode number 2, Through the Year with Thomas Merton. Light of the World, Life and Holiness. Episode number three, Magnificat, February 2023, Volume 24, Number 12. Item number one, a reading from the Gospel according to Mark, Chapter 7, Verses 31 through 37. Item number two, Meditation of the Day, Asking Jesus to Lay His Merciful Hands on Us. Episode number four. God's Little Instruction Book, 1, 2, and 3, by Honor Books. Golden Nugget number 1, inspired by Acts chapter 24, verse 16. Golden Nugget number 2, inspired by Psalms chapter 55, verse 17. Golden Nugget number 3, inspired by Isaiah. Chapter 7, verse 9. Episode 5, Chesterson Day by Day, Tremendous Trifles. Episode number 6, From Blindness to Sight in the Age of Collapse. Episode number 7, Reflection and Contemplation. Episode number 1, Live a Life Worthy of the Resurrection. Christ died for sinners, not for the righteous. Now that Christ has conquered death, says St. Gregory the Great, we should abandon our worldly lives and live for Christ. God's mercy for us is more amazing because Christ died not for the righteous or holy, but for the unrighteous and wicked. Though his divine nature was not capable of death, Yet at his birth he took from us what he would offer for us. Long ago he threatened our death with the power of his death, saving through the mouth of the prophet Hosea, O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your destruction? Hosea chapter 13 verse 14. By dying he was subject to the laws of hell. But by rising again, he broke them and destroyed the continuity of death, making it temporal instead of eternal. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22. So, dear friends, let it happen the way St. Paul says, that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. And because the old things have passed away and all things have become new, let no one remain in his old worldly life, but let us all be renewed by daily progress and growth in piety. Whoever is not advancing is going backwards, and whoever is gaining nothing is losing something. Let us run with faithful steps by the works of mercy, 
in love of righteousness, so that by keeping the day of our redemption spiritually, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, we may deserve to share in Christ's resurrection. St. Gregory the Great, Sermon 59, 8. In God's presence, consider, are sincerity and truth the hallmarks of the life I live now? What can I change in my life to be more worthy of the resurrection? A closing prayer. Father, the source of all encouragement, give me the strength to act as one who has been called by you so that I can observe your sacred laws. Episode number two. Light of the World We are supposed to be the light of the world. We are supposed to be a light to ourselves and to others. That may well be what accounts for the fact that the world is in darkness, life and holiness. Episode number three, a reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Chapter 7, verses 31 through 37. Jesus left the district of Tyre and went by way of Sidon to the Sea of Galilee into the district of the Decapolis. And people brought to him a deaf man who had a speech impediment and begged him to lay his hand on him. He took him off by himself away from the crowd. He put his finger into the man's ears and spitting, touched his tongue. Then he looked up to heaven and groaned and said to him, Aphophatha, that is, be opened. And immediately the man's ears were opened. His speech impediment was removed, and he spoke plainly. He ordered them not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered them not to, the more they proclaimed it. They were exceedingly astonished, and they said, He has done all things well. He makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. The Gospel of the Lord. Meditation of the Day Asking Jesus to lay his merciful hands on us. Our faith does not consist in conquering weakness, but in clinging in the midst of suffering to the will of him who suffers out of love for us. We must correct the habit of looking at our dark side instead of the transfiguring light of the sun who can change our dust into pure gold. We too often stop to examine ourselves instead of plunging ourselves into the purifying furnace of the sacred heart, which is open to us with a single act of confidence in his love. We believe all too easily in our wretchedness, but not enough in his merciful love. We have to learn how to take advantage of our littleness and failures, our incapacities, even our sins, and to transform them into reasons for trusting. If we can learn how to transpose such things into bold self-abandonment, then for us, as for the good thief, St. Peter, St. Paul, all the poor, weak, and sinful— the impossible becomes possible. It is trust and confidence that make what seemed so far away suddenly come within reach. It is trust and confidence that liberate the mercy of God, while a lack of faith constrains it. 
our weakness attracts God because it offers him an emptiness that he can fill. Weakness, brought in confidence before God, becomes, in a sense, the promise of God's intervention. We must have confidence, not in spite of our weakness, but because of it. Misery attracts mercy. No matter how deep the abyss of our misery, it cannot be an obstacle to God's action. Sanctity, says St. Therese, does not consist in this or that practice, but in a disposition of the heart which makes us little and humble in God's arms. Episode number four, God's Little Instruction Book. Conscience is God's built-in warning system. Be very happy when it hurts you, but very worried when it doesn't. Inspired by Acts chapter 24, verse 16. And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience and void of offense towards God and towards man. Most men forget God all day and ask him to remember them at night. Inspired by Psalm chapter 55, verse 17. Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. If you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. Inspired by Isaiah chapter 7, verse 9. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Episode number 5, Chesterson Day by Day. He said, If these were silent, the very stones would cry out. With these words, he called up all the wealthy of artistic creation that has been founded on this creed. With those words, he founded Gothic architecture. For in a town like this, which seems to have grown Gothic as a wood grows leaves, anywhere and anyhow, any odd brick or molding may be carved off into a shouting face. The front of vast buildings is thronged with open mouths, angels praising God, or devils defying him. Rock itself is racked and twisted until it seems to scream. The miracle is accomplished. The very stones cry out. Tremendous trifles. Episode number six. From Blindness to Sight in the Age of Collapse When we were born, our lungs inhaled chaos, and when our umbilical cords were cut, we traded mothers for motherboards. No longer linked to human wounds, our navels found new nutrition. We plugged, as by a USB cable, into the mainframe of a society hypnotized by gadgets, machinery, and glowing screens. This mainframe, this biomechanical machine, devoured our being and with it the human being. It became our babysitter, our pedagogue, our hero, our sibling, our uncle, our elder, our entertainment, our closest, most sadistic and inhuman friend our souls discounted as little more than the electrochemical firings of blood and flesh, were processed, as if it were possible, into mere 
numeric code metrics to be bought and sold, traded as commodities. These souls, vandalized into code by clever engineers, had been stunned and deluded by a mainframe program to supply all bodily satisfaction. The mainframe pacified and distracted by means of sensual pleasure, the mainframe coddled and confused with guarantees of material comfort, the mainframe hissed and hypnotized with some low drone that had us all marching in lockstep and single file to our deaths, first in spirit and last in body. We were lied to as we were gasping for breath in a suffocating world of spiritual, moral, and psychiatric dislocation, weaned on lies from birth, we wrongly assumed we were handed all that is necessary for a life of fulfillment. We were narcoticized, victimized, and confounded by allegedly sound and scientific solutions to our nagging, ontological distress. We were disoriented by drugs, prescription or illicit, and weaponized entertainment produced by megacorporations that vie and collude to subdue us as unthinking consumer units. We, in ways both witting and unwitting, degraded and downgraded ourselves into an apathetic, senseless people. We, blinded by blind guides in our own paroxysms of selfishness, were left only to speculate about how to think or see clearly. Our asphyxiating world, its manner, gave us nothing, no air, no life, no sight. Lies generated from within, from without, had obscured any clear path to stable, coherent knowledge. Common to us and so many was a nihilistic resignation. There seems to be no grand meaning, no larger understanding of what lies beyond this collapsing material life. Subject to lies, we found ourselves trading only in temporal, fleeting answers that rendered us naked and cold. We were made orphans of a society misshapen by collapsing family structures and values. Our vanity did we grope for steadiness, calibration, or any sense of home, seeing the real face of a society leading us to death and the failure of a utopian dream, we saw no use in trying, but we refused to be sucked by a program society on a death march to conformity. As death quietly stalked us, we played in the refuse and starred, stared into the void, because we felt the void was the only place wherein some truth could be found. We lived, if that's the right word, in despair and yet without limits. We figured being without limits was good, but all we got was despair without limits. Many of us chose poverty and glorified it. We hid beauty behind deformity and thought ugliness was a virtue. We rebelled against the superficial values of our hypocritical society. We scratched and gaped in gutters, garbage cans, dark alleyways, grubby house parties, mosh pits, and sideshows for something real. 
Everything else seemed so unreal. The skyscrapers and their well-dressed employees, the uh, ubiquitous chain stores and their products, the American dream. We dove headlong into insanity because saneness, as defined by our world, is actually insane. We ran from the world trying to make sense of our suffering and the nightmarish thought that our existence was as transient as our highs or our laughter. We looked for truth in a counterculture of our own making because by appearances, truth was nowhere else to be found. In this culture, we met other unhappy people like us and made them family. We weren't bound by blood. Instead, we were bound by boundlessness, by being lost. Others was bedraggled, coming and going family that became ours. But for all our escaping and searching, none of us ever seemed to arrive anywhere or find anything. Now as we enter the hospital, still sick with the viruses of the past, everything has changed. Some of what was believed, all that was worthwhile, all that was integrous and able to stand and help us stand, we still believe this world into which we were born so helplessly is one of dead-end pretensions and disease-bearing medicines, and thus its ways are to be carefully assessed and routinely rejected. All that we hated as runners, as young ones playing in the mud, we still despise the hollow shows of wealth, the life and pursuit of things, the inauthentic displays of big tech, big media, and big business. However, as we nurse in the hospital and heal from viruses contracted in the past, our eyes have now opened to one great emerging observation. There exists another world, the alternate but concurrent and only true world, one of another life, new life. This life, somehow deriving health from one's wounds and those of others, acknowledges we are pilgrims sojourning from in to in in a world subject to decay. Years of rapid society and political unraveling has made plain this decay. The scythe of the reaper claimed many thousands through COVID-19 and its sundry comorbidities. Technocrats exercised alarming newfound control of the actions and communications of everyday people. Viewers of the Glowing screens were hypnotized by carefully crafted narratives meant to antagonize, divide, and incite to violence. Glass-breaking rage was uncorked on American and European urban centers. The collapse-like embodiment of the modern technological way gave its sickly, heaving declaration, My conveniences are now your death. My technologies are now your end. As a result, we've come to discover in the starkest of terms that the mainframe, our electronics, our synthetic crib, and mobile, our cyclone pacifier, was wrongly made our premier source of meaning and guidance 
To quote a saint, When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. We, with new but still blurry eyes, have seen that all that pertains to the childish, sickening distractions of this age must be set aside like a dusty box of toys. We enter an age wherein no stone remains on another. There is much to be gained amidst the dark ruins of a shattered world, brokenness and desolation, so hopeless in the eyes of some, are invisibly pregnant with promise in the eyes of others. As we kick the opiate of material comforts, exit the temple of broken idols, and come to acknowledge that our culture is one of loud and benumbing noise, we finally stand on the threshold of encountering truth. If one is not seduced back to numbness by the influence of contemporary life, this threshold positions one to apprehend truly, and even transcend almost completely, our dying world's scaffolding, its logic, appearances, gross phenomena, and come to know by experience the spiritual, outwardly life. Thus, when one loses all that is of apparent worth in modern society's ugly faces unmasked, a search for the new, authentic life begins. Indeed, the quaking and tumult has not only thrown us onto uneven ground, it has mercifully granted us an ideal vantage point. Clear eyes now see a materialistic society crumbling to its brittle foundations and the hopeful emergence of a sounder, stabler society as an example of the kingdom of heaven. All of us, likewise born into chaos, likewise gasping in a life of asphyxiation, likewise dirtied from our foolish actions, can attest to an urgent life-and-death realization. Standing on the threshold of the authentic life requires alertness, and the evasion of a predatory world that aims to draw us into its entangling and poisonous affairs. The authentic life requires one not to put to death the world outside oneself. The authentic life requires one to put to death the world inside oneself. All the world's hypnotizing idols must be toppled and shattered. All its deceptions must be exposed and rejected. All its protective masks, declared by some to be for your protection, must be ripped off and thrown away. In this process, and only by this process, does one encounter truth. For truth is not an abstraction, a philosophy, or an idea, but a person whom one begins to know through action, contemplation, and transfiguration. Grace be unto you and peace. Episode number seven, Reflection. Many of the serious infirmities that befall a man have their cause, known or unknown, in his past. The cause of such serious infirmities as, let us say, mental disorder, are nothing other than the transgressions of the moral law of God. When St. Charlelampus was being tortured, the persecuting emperor learned of his miracle-working power. 
the emperor ordered an insane man to be brought before him to see if he could heal him. The devil had tormented this man for thirty-five years, driving him into the wilderness and hills and hurling him into bogs and chasms. When this deranged man approached Charolampus, the demon sensed a sweet-smelling fragrance emanating from the holy man and shouted, I beg you, O servant of God, do not torture me before my time, but command me and I will depart. And if you wish, I will tell you how it happened that I entered into this man. The saint commanded the demon to relate the story. The demon said, This man wanted to steal from his neighbor and thought to himself, If I don't kill the man first, I will not be able to seize his goods. So he went and killed his neighbor. Having caught him in the act, I entered him, and behold, I have dwelt in him for thirty-five years. Upon hearing this, the saint of God commanded the demon to depart from the man immediately and leave him in peace. The demon departed, and the demented man was restored to health and became tranquil. Contemplation. Contemplate the Lord Jesus as the beauty of the entire created world. As the beauty of all created things, a beauty dulled from fear and the melancholy of sin. As the beauty of man, the most rational being in the material world, a beauty dulled by fear and the melancholy of sin. As the beauty of the pure mental bodiliness, world of the angels, as the beauty of the Holy Trinity revealed by him and through him.